Well, as you have noticed, as I've mentioned, this morning is the beginning of Missions Month. So I thought I would do my part uh, and launch it off uh, in a way by thinking biblically about missions or more particularly about evangelism. If you noticed in your bulletin, we're talking about evangelism and the believer. After all, most of us think of missions. When we do think of missions, we think of hopping on a plane or, I don't know, I guess you can still hop on a boat. But going overseas, going to some foreign country uh, and church planning and evangelizing. But uh, I'm here to tell you that we're all on a mission. We're all missionaries here uh, locally. And so because uh, I I want you to think about evangelism, I want to walk you through just a brief mini biblical theology of evangelism. There's a lot we could say. We could spend all four weeks talking about evangelism, but uh, I I don't want to do that. I just want us to just really, in a sense, do a Bible study on evangelism. Uh, We'll just let the Word do its work in explaining and hopefully convicting all of us on the necessity uh, of evangelism. Again, uh, the point is to remind all of us Uh, that we are missionaries, uh, whether far away or local, wherever we are. And so uh, if you're taking notes, I have three points that I want us to walk through, three points that will direct our thoughts. Let me give those to you up front, and then we'll work our way through all three. We'll see how far we get today. Uh, First of all, I want us to think about the believer's call to evangelism. That's that's our first point, the believer's call to evangelism. Secondly, then we'll discuss the believer's core of evangelism. And then thirdly, the believer's conduct of evangelism. That's going to be our outline. The believer's call, the believer's core, the believer's conduct. But before we actually get into it, let me back into it, introduce it all by making sure that we all understand what evangelism is. Okay? Uh, I, I don't want to assume. We're here, I'm up here talking about evangelism. You might be sitting there going, well, what are you talking about? So I, I, I don't want to assume anything. But if I were to ask you, how, how would you define evangelism? What would your answer be? It's rhetorical. Nobody shout out anything. How would you define evangelism? Well, I, I did a bit of digging, and I found that some would give you a bit of a, a, a short Soundbite definition and then some a bit longer. Let me um, start with the short definition and then move to the longer definitions. Uh, For example, here's a short definition. Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to get the food. I like that. One beggar telling another beggar where to get food. Uh, A little bit longer definition is this. Evangelism is the, in the strict sense, is proclaiming the good news of salvation to men and women with a view of their conversion to Christ and incorporation in his church. That's good. A little bit longer, you have this. According to the New Testament, evangelism is just preaching the gospel, the evangel. It is a work of communication in which Christians make themselves mouthpieces of God's of God's message of mercy to sinners. The way to tell, in fact, you are evangelizing is not to ask whether conversions 
are known to have resulted from your witness, it is to ask whether you are faithfully making known the gospel message. End quote. Uh, I like that one. Now, a strictly biblical definition of evangelism would be this. I mean, if you were to pull in all the relevant biblical texts together, this is what you might have. Evangelism is the bold proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to who? To the unsaved. How? In the power of the Holy Spirit. To the end, now listen carefully, to the end of persuading them to, per, to repent of their sins, to believe in the person of Jesus Christ and in the work of, of Jesus Christ on their behalf to accept him as their Lord and Savior. So far, so good, but it doesn't end there. With the intent to baptize them and teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded. And then this, that they might become committed members of a local New Testament church. You have to add that. That is evangelism from beginning to end. It is going. It is proclaiming. It is persuading. But ultimately, it is to make disciples, bringing them into the local church, teaching them all that Jesus has commanded. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but basically what we're doing in evangelism is... is Picking up where Jesus left off. You don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter 1, uh, Luke writes this. This, in fact, is how he introduces Acts. He says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all, and here it is, that Jesus began to do and teach. I don't know if you've ever picked that up. All that Jesus, what? Began to do and teach. His apostles picked up where he left off. And the baton's been passed down all through these ages, and it's in our hands at the moment. Jesus evangelized, obviously. In Luke 4, verse 42, Jesus says this, and this is the literal translation, I must evangelize the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this, pre for this purpose, and he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus evangelized, Peter evangelized, Paul evangelized, the apostles evangelized, and we have a, a history of the church that evangelized. Let me ask you this. Why don't, if it's just a perception, why don't many believers evangelize? Why don't we evangelize? I, I think that's a fair question. How come many believers do not regularly Evangelize, And I'm not uh, asking that as if that's the only thing believers do. I remember we had a guy here years ago who was very upset, made, him, made it known that he was upset because he would go out on the streets to evangelize almost every other day and he was upset that many of the folks here in the church wouldn't do that. And I had to let him know that, uh, well, people do evangelize, but not everybody has to evangelize on the streets. He ultimately took off. But the question is, again, it's a perception. 
How come many believers don't evangelize? Now, I do know that you evangelize, that most of you evangelize, even though if you're not on the streets. I know that you evangelize in your, in your homes. I know you evangelize at your workplaces, uh, at the universities, because we get the prayer points. Please pray for so-and-so. Please pray for so-and-so. But I do know that many don't evangelize. Perhaps many believers out there never think about evangelizing. Why is that? That could be a number of reasons. I, I just jotted down a few. I thought this would be good as a, just a way of thinking about this. Uh, why don't believers evangelize? Well, maybe it's because they believe that the Great Commission was only given to the apostles. I mean, Jesus did say, you go, and the you at that point was the apostles, and some people just leave it at that. Well, I don't have to evangelize because it was just to the apostles. I don't think that'll work. Um, maybe their attitude is, oh, well, you know, I bring them to the church and the pastor evangelizes. I, I've heard that before. I don't evangelize. I just try to get them through the door, and you evangelize them, Todd. That's a wrong understanding of evangelism. It's a wrong understanding of what a pastor does, too. Maybe they believe that evangelism is a spiritual gift. And I, I do believe it is. I do believe that uh, the Lord calls people to be evangelists in the church. And there's certain people, as we know, have a particular wiring to go out, even on the streets, and to, to, to talk to people. But that doesn't exclude everybody. Even if you don't have the, you know, the the wiring, so to speak. We're all called to evangelize. So you can't use that. Maybe the church itself, and I've seen this over the years, churches are a bit cultish and they only keep to themselves and they don't really want to grow and so they don't evangelize. You're not going to grow unless you evangelize. Maybe uh, in the teaching and preaching, the, the churches don't talk about the cost of following Jesus. That could be a reason. Along the same lines, and this is real reason out there, there's many churches out there that don't talk about sin, they don't talk about wrath, they don't talk about hell, that it's not preached. And so there's, there's no understanding of the urgency. I mean, what am I to evangelize if I think everybody's okay? And then sometimes we look for immediate results. Uh, we, we do get a little bit of a a sense of urgency and a sense of zeal. We go out and evangelize, but nobody gets saved because of my evangelism, and therefore, oh, then what's the bother if nobody's getting saved? And so you get a bit discouraged by it all. And, of course, we need to talk to you about the sovereignty of God and salvation. There's also uh, another real reason why people don't evangelize, and that's because they don't understand the gospel. People are not clear on the gospel. They don't understand why people need to get saved. Along the same lines, um, they, they don't have a theological foundation of evangelism. They, they don't understand the severity of sin. They don't understand the, the need of a Savior and how one gets saved. They don't understand the sovereignty of God in salvation. They don't understand the means by, which, by one, how one is saved. I mean, there, there's a, a theological foundation for evangelism. People don't know that. They don't know the gospel. And then probably uh, what is the top one or top two reason why people don't evangelize, and that's simply the fear of man. 
And I think we would all agree on that. No one likes confrontation. No one wants a, a rift in the family. No one wants to lose their job. And all of that, most of the time, is drawn by fear. But we must evangelize. Jesus says, I must evangelize. Paul says, I am compelled and, uh, and persuaded to evangelize. And we need to have that same attitude. But if you look at those reasons there, and, and there could be more, of course, but if you looked at all those reasons, I would lump all of those in a category that if I were to give one word, it would be ignorance. Most of that's ignorance. And we'll give true believers the benefit of the doubt that the reason why they don't evangelize is because they're not equipped to. They don't know how to. Uh, again, they don't know the gospel. They don't know the biblical and theological foundations for it. They've never really understood the urgency of it. So we'll, we'll be kind and call it ignorance. Uh, the only alternative is what? Indifference. And I, I hope that's not the case. I hope none of you are in that category. Uh, if, if you find yourself quite apathetic and indifferent and disconcerting to people that, who, that are lost out there, that's, that's a sad place to be. In fact, you, someone might question whether you're a true Christian at all. I agree with William Hendrickson when he says this. He says, the person who is unconcerned about those who are perishing may well wonder whether he or she is a Christian. End quote. So with, with all of that, uh, if, if you're not evangelizing, let's just hope it's ignorance and not indifference. And if it is just ignorance, then I can help you with that. And that's my job. My job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And that takes us now back to our outline. As I said, this will be a brief Bible study on evangelism with just three points that will guide our thoughts the believer's call, the believer's core, the believer's conduct. And as I said, we'll see how far we get this morning. So let's, let's begin with the first point. The, the believer's call to evangelism. I trust you have your Bible ready because we're going to look at a number of different texts. Let's start with Matthew 28, verse 19. We, we, we know the Great Commission begins there. So turn to Matthew 28. And I just want to jump in at verse 19. Jesus here, after stating that all, all authority has been given to him, you see that in verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Because of that, and that's, that's the impetus, he's the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And because of that, because of that authority, he says what? Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all Nations. Now, just stop there. We, we just want to focus on the two-letter word there, go. Over in Mark 16, verse 15, he, Jesus tells the apostles something there very similar. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This is the call to evangelism. Go. Go. Now, if you know anything about uh, how language works, there's nouns, there's verbs, there's imperatives. And you would maybe think that go there is an imperative, but in terms of its grammar, it's a participle. What's a participle? Well, as a participle, you would probably translate this as, as, um, as you go. 
The assumption is that you're going. As you go, as you go, make disciples. As you go, preach. Uh, but I, I do agree with most of the New Testament scholars that says, even though it's a, a participle, it does have an imperative force. That as you go, but definitely go. This, is, this comes as a command. As you go, this is the believer's calling. And as you go, you do what? You preach, you proclaim, you, you, you're a witness. You preach the gospel. You preach the good news. Or as Jesus says there, you go and, and preach repentance and forgiveness. Now, okay, we, we've got that. We're, we're, the call to evangelism is to go. It's a command. And we go and we preach and we preach the gospel. Then somebody might say, what is the gospel? Right? I need to go, but what do I do as I go? Well, you preach. You proclaim the gospel. But let's make sure we understand what the gospel is. So turn in your Bibles to Luke 24. Over in Luke 24, here... You remember this is after the resurrection. Jesus is talking to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And in verse 46, he says this, Luke 24. Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ, for the Christ, to suffer and to rise from the third day. And then this, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins, remission of sins, whatever you have, that should be what? preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. So uh, this is very clear. We are to preach, we are to proclaim, and what are we to proclaim? What does he say here? Repentance and the forgiveness of sins. That, that's, that's at the heart of the gospel. The repentance and forgiveness of sins. That must be preached. Why must that be preached? Because this is the only message where... Sinners can hear, can believe, and obey, and ultimately be what? Forgiven. Be forgiven. As we just learned in the catechism, boys and girls, uh, we're born into sin, and we actually sin. We have a sin problem. That's the bad news. But this is the gospel. The gospel is the good news, and the good news is that you can be forgiven. Whatever the sin Whatever the sin, we, we, you know, we look in this world today and we see the, the, the sins, the heinous sins. I mean, there, there's no necessarily uh, little sins. All sins deserve hell. All sins deserve death. But I tell you what, the world's cranked up in its sin, hasn't it? Some of the most wicked sins that people used to do in the, behind closed doors is out in public now. But the good news is that even those sins can be what? Forgiven. Even in those sins, they can be washed and cleansed. But that's our job. That's our call, is to get that message to them so they can hear that they can be forgiven. Now, when did this all begin? As he says there, it begins where? At the end of verse 47, it begins in Jerusalem. And here we are 2,000 years and we're in Sydney. So from Jerusalem to here, that's, that's, that's traveled quite a way. And here in this country, it, it's, it is preached in Sydney and Melbourne and Adelaide and Brisbane and Perth, all across Australia, but even to all the nations. 
That's our call. We, we, we certainly evangelize wherever we are, but we need to go to the four corners of the earth. As I said before, you can look at it this way. We have an evangelistic baton. You know, we all know what a baton is. It's in a relay race. It goes from one person to the next person to the next person. And, and that baton that started there in Luke 24 is now today in our hands. And the baton is to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel. But by the way, to prepare for the next generation. We need to pass it down to the next generation. we got some of these young kids and young people that we need to pass it to them. So then they can pass it to the next generation until the Lord comes. This is our calling. This, this, this is our job description. This is uh, our stewardship, if you want to call it that. In, in fact, if we want to break this calling down, uh, there's two features to it. One is, it, it is a command. Make sure you get that. It is a command. Jesus' last words on earth in Acts, just listen, was this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Have you ever seen yourself as the Lord's witness? And if you break it down even further, you're, you're actually the Lord's uh, tertiary witness. The first witnesses were the disciples. The second witness is the Holy Spirit. And then you're the third witness. You are a witness for Christ. Who he is and what he's done. You, and what does a witness do? You, you speak up for them. You testify. A witness, testimony, the same, same language. You shall be my witnesses, he says. Where? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. That's why we have a missions month, because we take that serious. So the believer's call is to be a witness. Again, make sure you get it. It is a command. That's the force. As you go, and the point is you go. And sometimes the Lord, in your indifference, will compel you to go. He'll make you go. He'll bring some kind of a circumstance where you have to go. Remember in the early church, they're all huddling around together in Jerusalem, and he said to go, and they didn't go. So what had to happen? Persecution. Persecution made them go, didn't it? But not only a command... But this calling is also a sacred trust. You need to understand that as well. Turn in your Bible over to 1 Thessalonians 2. I want you to see this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. Paul writes there, But as we have been approved by God, and here's their word, to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our heart. If, 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 if we, in our fear of man, stayed on that, we would never open our mouths. But our desire is not to fear man or even please man, but to please God. And you could even say because we fear God, we speak. We speak, he says. But notice how he says right before that, part of it is the fact that that gospel is entrusted to us. It's a gift to us. It's a treasure. He says it elsewhere. And so not only is um, the call to evangelism a command, but part of understanding the call is that it is a sacred trust. A sacred trust. And why is it a sacred trust? Because the gospel is a what? 
It's a treasure. Do you understand that? It's the pearl of great price. It's a treasure. I mean, when we talk about the call to evangelism, we must not only highlight that it is a command, but it is a sacred trust. I don't know if you've maybe thought about it before, but you need to rethink it. Listen to Charles Spurgeon. He says this, No one of us can be exempted from the work of spreading the gospel because we are engaged in some other work. Good as it is, though it may be very intimately connected to the kingdom of Christ, yet it is, is, does not exonerate us from the work of endeavoring to bring sinners to Christ. There is nothing whatsoever in the whole world compass of Scripture to excise any mouth from speaking for Jesus when the heart is really acquainted with his salvation. We are all called, there it is, to make Jesus known if we know him. Let us trust in the divine energy of the Holy Ghost and speak the truth in reliance upon his might. End quote. Did you catch that? That's good. I mean, what he says there pretty much sums up the believer's call to evangelism. It is a command. It is a sacred trust. And thus we must speak. John Calvin put it this way. He says, the gospel does not fall from the clouds like rain by accident, but is brought by the hands of men to where God has sent it. The believer's call to evangelism. Let's quickly move to the second point, and that's the believer's core. The believer's core of evangelism. Number one, the believer's call. Now the believer's core of evangelism. And here I'm just, by saying core, I'm talking about the, the fundamentals, the essentials. What is the core of evangelism? After all, if we're going to evangelize, we better get the evangel right, right? I don't know if you've noticed over the years, if you were to look out at the evangelical church, this is probably something that, um, and a number of people have alerted us to it, but uh, there is a dearth of understanding uh, the gospel. What is the gospel? Getting the gospel right doesn't seem to be a high priority for the church today. But if we're called, that's the first point. If we're called to evangelism, we better get the evangel right. Otherwise, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And obviously, getting the gospel right is not just to, to, to evangelize. The gospel, getting the gospel right is for us as well because our sanctification, not just our salvation, but our sanctification is, is dependent upon that. I mean, you ask the average Christian, what are the essentials of the gospel? What do you think you'll get back? What, what is the core of evangelism? What are the fundamentals of the gospel? Or, or let me put it this way. If I were to ask you, what is the basic minimum one must believe in order to be a Christian, what would you say? I think some of you know back in the mid-90s there was... Um, this thing that was going around called the ECT, the Evangelical Catholics Treaty, where a number of uh, evangelicals uh, were, were making a treaty with the Catholics. 
Uh, they, they said, look, the Reformation's over. We don't have to evangelize the Catholics anymore. Uh, they're our brothers and sisters. And, of course, that within the evangelical church, rightly so, made a stir. And there were some, namely John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, and a no, number of others, you know, stood up and said, no, that, we can't do that. They do not have the gospel. And so uh, I remember John MacArthur coming uh, to um, back to the church after a meeting there in Florida, and he was telling us about that meeting, and he basically said he, he said it was quite comical um, in one sense that uh, R.C. Sproul at one point in the meeting was on the desk or on the table in the meeting just asking the other side, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Because you guys don't seem to know what the gospel is if you're saying that Catholics, of the Roman Catholic Church and what they believe right now is the gospel. I think John MacArthur, if you've heard his testimony, said he looked at J.I. Packer at one point and said, what is the most minimum thing you have to believe in order to be a Christian, which Packer turned around and said, that's a good question, but never answered it. That's still the question today, though. What is the most, what is the minimum, the core, the essential that you have to believe to be a Christian? We're not telling you you have to have a master of divinity in order to be a Christian. We're not telling you you have to have, you know, the systematic theology by Burkhoff read, memorized before you become a Christian. But what is the minimum to be a Christian? Well, let's answer that. I mean, at the, the very, very minimum, if we were to answer the question, what is the core of evangelism? It, it all revolves around who? It revolves around the person of Christ and it revolves around the work of Christ. I mean, you think of the book of Hebrews that we were going through. He believes that they're Christians, but they are baby Christians, right? They're immature Christians. But what at least did they believe? They believed who Jesus was and what he did. He needed to deepen that in order for them to progress. But at least they had the fundamentals down. They had the core down. And that's what we must have down. And that is, at minimum, we must get Jesus right. You have to get who Jesus is right. Listen, salvation ultimately is trusting in who? It's trusting in Jesus Christ. And so you better get him right. He must be understood exactly how the Bible describes him. For example, John 1.1 tells us what? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God, right? In other words, Jesus is who? Jesus is God. You've you got to get that. I mean, if you believe he was some just a prophet or a good man or a moral man or even an exceptional teacher, which, by the way, he, he was all of that, but you deny his deity, then you can't be a Christian. Even if you call yourself a Christian, you're not a Christian if you do not believe in the deity of Christ. I mean, we heard it a few weeks ago at the Truth of the Gospel Conference, how Rich, over the whole day, was explaining and expositing us what it means for Jesus to be truly God and truly man. You must believe that. Remember, Paul said, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Every year we say what? Emmanuel, God be God with us. We celebrate the fact that God became a man and dwelt among us. 
Jesus himself. And John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So not only do we need to get Jesus' person right, but we need, in, in terms of his deity, but we need to understand that there's an exclusivity to his gospel, to who he is and how we can become saved. I mean, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. I think we all get that. I think we understand that there's only one way to, to the Father. There's only one way to heaven. I know there's everybody out there trying to tell you that there's many roads to heaven. Oh, you believe that? that? That's good for you, Todd. But, you know, I have my way. And you know, all these ways go to God. Do you get that sometimes? When, when you're trying to give them the gospel, you, you, you get in return. Uh, look, that, that's good for you, but I got my way. And I'll see you in heaven one day. Again, assuming that there's many roads that lead to heaven. What did Jesus say? Enter the what way? Enter the narrow way. For the broad is the way that leads to death. I mean, all those ways say heaven, right? Satan's not that dumb to put, put on the road a sign at the front that says hell, right? All the roads will say heaven out there, but the Gospel says there's only one way. There's an exclusivity to our message. What did Peter say in, in Acts chapter 4? This is a verse you need to memorize. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we may be saved. Oh, what about Mary? Nope. What about Buddha? Nope. What about Muhammad? Nope. You should keep going down the list. There is no other name. What does that mean? There is no other name. That's what it means. No one else. You know, John in 1 John calls Jesus the Savior of the world. And, and sometimes people get tripped up on that. Ah, see, he's the Savior of the world. He saves the whole world. Well, that's not what he's talking about. He doesn't save the whole world because most of the world rejects him. What his point is that he is the, that's his title, the Savior of the world. That is, if you're here this morning and you want to get saved, there's no one else, no other name. He, that, that's him. He's the Savior of the world. That makes sense? No other name. No other Savior. He's the only name, the only Savior. Go back to Acts 17 we read earlier. This is one of my favorite passages uh, because there's just some things there that, to pull out that are just little nuggets, but also it, it becomes a paradigm for us on how to evangelize. Here, here's Paul in Acts 17, and if you track Paul from you know beginning of Acts, he, he, he has a custom, and even Luke talks about it. As Paul's custom, as Paul's custom. And what was his custom when, when he went to a new town? Where was the first place he would go to? He'd go where? He'd go to the synagogue. Why? Because the gospel goes to the Jews first, right? But when he goes into the synagogue, uh, it, it, it says he reasons with them with the scriptures. Because they got, they've got the scriptures. And, and so I bet you uh, he's pointing out Isaiah 53, right? 
And he's saying, well, this is Christ, this is the Christ, this is the Christ. So he's reasoning with them with the scriptures. But when you go outside and you go out to the marketplace, uh, do they have the scriptures? No. But his message is still very biblical. He just doesn't point Bible uh, chapter and verse, but he does summarize the message. So it is a, a biblical message. And I won't read you all of what we read earlier, but look, when you come down to Acts 17 and um, verse 18, notice what they're... They've, they've, they've heard him what he was saying, but notice their reply because that's, that's a bit telling. He says, what is this ignorant show-off? You might have idle babbler. I mean, what, it, what they're hearing in their ears is that he's just, he's just going on and on and on about, for them, nothing. What is this ignorant showing off trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities. And, and, and you've got to stop there. And I know I've mentioned this over the years. But to, to pull that out, this is what they hear. They're hearing Paul, the Apostle Paul, who is the Apostle to the Gentiles. They're hearing that he's preaching foreign deities. How did he mess that up? Right? How did they get foreign deities out of preaching Christ and Christ alone? I'll tell you how. Look at the next verse. He... Because he was, or, or, yeah, the rest of the verse there, because he was telling them the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Remember I've told you that in, in Greek religion there's always a male God and a female counterpart. I mean, if you were to walk up to the Parthenon there and you walked in there and you saw all the idols in the temple, there would be a male God and there'd be a female God. Male God and a female God. That's how they worked. I mean, why not? Every Here on humans, we have a husband and wife, why can't the gods have a husband and wife, so to speak? So this Jesus, man, we never heard this Jesus before. Who is this God? Jesus. Oh, and his female counterpart is who? Anastasia. What's Anastasia? Resurrection. That's what it says, Jesus and the resurrection. When he was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus and the resurrection, their mind immediately computed Jesus and his female counterpart, Anastasia. Until you get to the end there, where when he started talking about the resurrection of the dead, they pulled him off the stage because then they said, oh, no, he's not talking about a female God. He's actually talking about a resurrection. And for them, well, we don't believe in the resurrection. But the whole message there is what? Biblical. Everything he says is biblical. Again, they don't have the scriptures, but it's... And they don't have chapter and verse, but he speaks to them the gospel. Jesus and the resurrection. And his message is just like Peter's, just like Jesus's, Jesus is the only way. That was the message there. Jesus is the only way of salvation. So when we talk about the core of evangelism. You've you got to get Jesus right. You've got to get his work right. Make sure you're a student of the gospel. 
Now, obviously, there's a, a, a number of other things we could say. We, we, you need to talk about why they need a Savior, why they need Jesus. You need to talk about sin. You need to talk about the justice of God. You need to talk about the holiness of God. I mean, in fact, you could probably just take them through the what some call the Romans road. Just listen to this. Start with Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the law of God. No one has obeyed the law of God perfectly. And if you disobey at one point, you disobey the whole thing. And the wages of breaking that law is what? Death. So you're in trouble. In fact, that's what Romans 6.23 says. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You can go to Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus as is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The, the point is salvation, right? The whole, the whole point of preaching the gospel is that people hear, believe, obey, and get saved. But how can they hear without a what? A preacher. Without faith, is faith comes from hearing. Hearing comes from the word of God. And no one can please God without faith. Hebrews 11. So, so look, we could say more, but that's a start. There, there is a core of evangelism. You need to talk about the sinfulness of man. You need to talk about the justice of God. And ultimately, it all points to the salvation of one, and that's Jesus Christ. Can I say, that's, that should be the minimum. The very core of evangelism, the minimum of the gospel. Or I could take you back to Luke 24, where we read that they were to go preach repentance for Forgiveness of sins. That's it. Would you like your sins forgiven? Are you interested in that? Are you interested in having your sins forgiven? That's the question you ask. To repent, to believe, that's getting to the core. Obviously, there's much more we can say, but I think you, you get the gist. And this is just a refresher. So we have the call of evangelism. We have the, the core of evangelism. But, but I tell you what, part of our, our calling is our conduct. There needs to be a, a, a character, a testimony of character, a testimony of conduct that matches the gospel that you proclaim. This is where um, I think well-meaning Christians, even conservative, perhaps you can even say mature Christians, in, in, in the sense that they, in their understanding, they're mature in their understanding of theology, they're mature in their sense of understanding the gospel, but their life's a mess. And that becomes a poor recommendation of the gospel. But remember Jesus says, let your what? Light shine, Right? Let your light shine or, or let your good works shine so that men can see those good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I want to talk about that, but our time's gone. So we'll bring that back up next week. We'll talk about the believer's conduct of 
evangelism. But I, I think this is a running start, and hopefully I've got your mind a little bit stirred on the whole of what we're doing this month, and that is Missions Month. Not just about missions overseas, but it is missions here. It is about all of us being missionaries and being evangelists wherever we are. As I said, even if it's not out on the streets, it is in your home. You've got kids. That's, that's your priority in terms of the mission field. You have family members. You might even have an unsaved husband or unsaved wife or unsaved children or, or workmates that hopefully you have a burden for. Let's get the, the, the gospel right. Let's get the, the calling right, the, the core right, uh, and get your life right. And then we can talk about how that's all going to work out. Some of those practical ways that we can evangelize. But let's get the foundation right. Let's get the, the fundamentals right first. Okay? So we'll stop there for this morning. Father, we thank you for our time this morning that we can just be refreshed, really, hopefully, uh, in, in understanding our call of evangelism and even what the core uh, of the evangel is that we evangelize. There's much more to talk about, but at least this is a, a good start. Lord, if there are any here this morning that perhaps aren't even Christians, aren't even believers, I, I, I trust as we went through this that they did hear the gospel, that they understand that there is no other name, that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that their sins deserve death, that deserves the anger and judgment from you. And they need a Savior. They need, as we've been learning in high priest, they need a mediator. They need a high priest. They need their the sins to be forgiven. They need the wrath of God to re be removed. Otherwise, they would not not be peace and reconciliation with you. Or strengthen our faith so we, we believe these things. We believe it to the point that we speak. We don't want to be indifferent. And we certainly don't want to be ignorant either. So as this morning is just a start, may we pick it up on our own. There's books on the gospel. There's books on evangelism. And we could just read the, the testimonies of the apostles in the book of Acts that could stir us up. So we ask that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen.